0: Oh And welcome to the latest edition of the Meltzer 5 Star Project, the ongoing series within the Let Me Tell You Something universe, in which myself, you Let Me Tell You Something co-host Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host
1: Simon Cross,
0: discuss the matches that Dave Meltzer has rated 5 stars or higher in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. And boy, are we higher than we've almost ever been. I'm getting a nosebleed, I'm scared. Mm, That's not the reason you're getting a nosebleed. We're in the year 2023 at last, and what match are we covering? We are covering,
1: they called it the co-main event, but it's in the semi-main event slot of Wrestle Kingdom. It is a match for the IWGP United States Championship with the defending champion Will Ospreay taking on this this plucky out of nowhere. Nah, I'm just kidding. It's the old returning hero in some people's eyes. It's Kenny Omega.
0: But is he a hero, Simon? Is he? That's the question we have going into this match. This was probably the most hotly anticipated match online that we've had in a long time. Mm. And for most people, it seems like it earned its uh, hype, as it were. There are people out there that are calling this one of their favorite matches of all time. Maybe their favorite match of all time. It seems like it's going to be the one to beat... For match of the year, just as the Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada Wrestle Kingdom from January 4th, 2017 was. And it may be the case that nothing will catch it up. I mean, I'll say off the top, I'm not going to say whether I gave this 5 stars or not yet. But, I think it's better than than the match I thought was the best match of last year. Which was FTR against the Briscoes at Supercard of Honour. Ah, that's number one in their series. Yes, the first one. Righto. The only thing that I find fascinating about this match as far as this is the reaction everyone has given mm. is that I got the sense that this wasn't even... that this was them holding stuff back.
1: This is definitely not the end of their tale, no.
0: This is the setup for further chapters, where they will be... One, two, or more matches in the future. Yeah. To be fair, this isn't the first. This is the second Omega-Osprey match. It's quite crazy what the the only other one was. It wasn't in a New Japan ring, actually. Whilst they faced off in tag team matches. Yeah. The only singles match they had before this was at PWG, Battle of Los Angeles. (laughs) And this was back when Omega was a junior heavyweight and Osprey was only known on the British circuit. That was one of the ones that really brought him out to a greater... Um, audience, yeah, and all one of the things I remember from that is that this was, like I said, this was at the time when Omega was the junior heel, the cleaner, properly doing the cleaner gimmick and a lot more eccentric, I suppose, in the way that he presented himself. And at the time, he, one of these things that he was doing was that he was rubbing people's heads with his forearm, mm. with the idea being that he's like got really bristly, for like he shaves it a few days in advance so that when it's the match, it'll be you know, nasty, and it'll be like having a little bit of grater over your forehead. And the spot that they did in that match that I remember is Osprey grabbing the forearm before he can hit it, backing Omega into the corner, and then grating Omega's dick with his own forearm.
1: (laughs) PWG, man.
0: (laughs) We've come a long way since then.
1: And from an in-ring perspective, their most recent interaction was a six-man tag match in AEW with, it seems loath to call the elite the henchman, but Aussie Open are definitely um, Will's uh, henchmen. But it was a six-man tag match between the elite and Kenny Omega versus Will and Aussie Open as part of the trios tournament that ended ever so well. I mean, who knows with Kenny being off TV for so long, we could have had like another interaction maybe if he wasn't suspended for a bit. Maybe they'd have done something a bit more dedicated working together. But the fact remains is we had that interaction. We have Kenny on his throne doing that video.
0: Making a point of speaking in Japanese that Osprey can't do.
1: Yeah. And then we have that... um...
0: He can barely speak English.
1: (laughs) Well, he speaks a certain type of English, as we saw saw in the press conference, where he cuts a really... I really rate that promo from Osprey. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: Um, It it came from a place of reality as well. Um, Mm. I mean, the comment... Everything he said in that did happen. I guess sometimes the easiest type of story to write is the one that has elements of truth running all the way through it.
0: Yes. But sometimes, as we found, if you put if you bring the truth too close to the storylines, then things can explode in ways that don't do anyone favors for what they've got to do on screen later on. It's
1: a tightrope to walk;
0: you need to get it right. Like you said, it's one of those things. As as so often the case with wrestling now, how much of it blurs in with reality in many ways. And you know, these guys were badmouthing each other on Twitter for at least a couple of years before all this happened. And it's always been the story as it was made of this match, was that Osprey is the inheritor of the top Jin role that Kenny Omega held until he left to go and be a part of AEW. Which is weird, really,
1: because typically, it's been, for a long time, it was the Bullet Club head, and obviously, Jay White's floating around in this sort of, like, out of time
0: thing, really. Jay White's an odd one insofar as he is actually a new Japan homegrown talent, I suppose. But
1: still a guy Jin, really.
0: And when he took over the Bullet Club, it gradually started getting increasingly Japanese as well at that point too. Mm-hmm. But even if you argue that J White is actually the top guy Jin or the top heel, the position that Osprey took that Omega had was the guy that had all of these crazy matches, and that was the physical marvel was doing all these spectacular moves, even as a heel, whereas we've always said with Jay White the thing that he's always done as a heel is tone down his in-ring activities. Yeah. So, again, he's the inheritor in that sense.
1: He's the beacon to the world. Mm.
0: And he'd also have followed that trajectory that Omega had gone on as being a junior heavyweight and then moving up to a heavyweight. Yeah. And having a bitter rivalry with Okada. And it's curious watching this match as well, because... The two things that it reminded me of are the Okada Tanahashi series, that obviously we've been doing, it's been interrupted, but we will resolve it later on this year in Rerun the Rivalry, in that it is a generational conflict. But also, I think the story of this match very much reminded me of the middle match in the trilogy of Wrestle Kingdom matches between Kazuchika Okada and Tetsuya Naito. Where we think Naito's done everything that he needs to do to conquer Okada at the Dome. Right. But the mistake he makes is going back to the Stardust Genius stuff. Yes. And even acting like his old babyface playing up to the crowd character when he goes for that decisive destino only for Okada to counter it and then hit the Rainmaker. And it's that thing of you've got to wash yourself of all of your past. You've got to go beyond to become this new figure. That's what Okada did. Hmm. That's what Naito did. That's what Ibushi did. I mean, that's also what Kenny Omega did in a way, because he did finally defeat Okada for the title after he'd left the Bullet Club. Yeah. And was reunited with Ibushi. And that's also now what I think will be the continuing story of Osprey. As I've said, the central protagonist of New Japan Pro Wrestling has been those changes as as time's gone on. It's gone from Tanahashi to Okada, from Okada to Naito. Insofar as that's the focus of the booking, like, the end point. There's a chapter of the story. Yes. The end chapter for Okada was him defeating Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom. The end chapter for Naito was him beating Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. The end chapter for Ibushi was him beating Jay White at Wrestle Kingdom. And the end chapter for Osprey will be conquering both Omega and Okada. I guess Omega to Osprey is what Jericho was to Naito, in a way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I can see where you're coming from there.
0: Or Tanahashi was to Naito as well. There's beasts you have to slay before you finish off the big boss. My expectation for this would be Osprey wins the rematch at Dominion or Forbidden Door 2 or whatever it is, then goes on to win the G1 Climax... And then defeat Okada at Wrestle Kingdom 18.
1: Yeah, I suppose you're right. And I suppose w- when we initially messaged about this match after it took place, I think you highlighted that the result of this match was definitely the way to go because it opens up a lot more. Because Ospreay, obviously, going into this match as defending champ- uh, United States champion, having already been. It was sort of like, where, where does he go? Where does he fit? Who does he drop to? And not mess up his trajectory.
0: Well, New Japan's always been that way that winning the title is only one thing. I think New Japan, more than any other promotion currently, do the best job of making title defenses important to the champion. Mm-hmm. I think we've said this already yes, in a recent episode. We have. You know, AEW were never really able to do that with Hangman Page after he won the world title. <sighs> they were never really able to do it with Uh, the lucha bros after they won the tag titles from the young bucks yeah there needs to be something for them to still have to overcome and that's why osprey has at least two more major obstacles to overcome before he finishes that part of his story and again so that's why i think if anyone should be reluctant to give this five stars is because i think there's a bigger match coming a longer match coming one with even more big moves and near falls But that doesn't mean you can't give this match five stars. I've given multiple matches involving the same people five stars. I gave two Ric Flair-Ricky Steamboat matches five stars. I would give two Bret Hart-Steve Austin matches five stars, even though only one of them was given five stars by Meltzer. I personally would also give their 1996 Survivor Series match on Madison Square Garden five stars too. But also one of the other things that New Japan and storylines do in general is making sure that both people have some sort of story going in, Mm. some sort of reason that they want to win. For Omega, it's only really ever lightly alluded to, but the point is that this is a long-standing revenge thing for him dating back to the Wrestle Kingdom where he left where in the opening match up and coming Osprey defeated Ibushi for the Never Openweight title and in the process debuted his Hidden Blade move which KO'd Ibushi apparently in real life as well but again it's one of those things maybe they've just said that to you know give it an extra layer for the online crowd who don't just want to follow on screen storylines and that meant Ibushi couldn't be in Omega's corner against Tanahashi and that was one of the reasons they're saying in Storyline that Omega lost in a slight upset to Tanahashi mm-hmm. in the main event. And Omega hasn't had the chance to get the revenge since then. And obviously in the interim, Ibushi is somewhat persona non grata with New Japan. That was one of the another example of why 2022 was such a crazy year. We didn't even bring that up when we were talking about that.
1: Was it not Will who, in a match with Will, where he got injured one of the times, he got injured recently?
0: I have no idea. I mean, Ibushi must be carrying about 15,000 different injuries, both inflicted on him and inflicted by him to himself. Yeah,
1: both physically and career-wise, it seems. Yeah,
0: Omega did wear an Ibushi shirt recently during the series of trios matches against Death Triangle. Whether that means that those stories will be allowed to go on with, within New Japan rings or in AEW rings or not at all, could still be not at all. We'll we'll find out as the year progresses. But one of the things that was curious about this match as well, as I was saying, was that Naito did too much Stardust Genius. It was it, it was interesting watching this, and um, Osprey said himself, "It's time to bring back the assassin." But that was the mistake that he made, I think. There's a lot more high flying from Osprey in this match than I think I've seen in any of his big matches he's had. The year or so since where he's been making a point to prove yeah. that he doesn't need to go to all the top rope moves all the time anymore that he can do it grounded strikes and power moves just as well as when he was flying all over the place and doing match-for-match gymnastics with and best of super junior matches
1: mm, mm. It does seem such a weird tactical misstep that he's gone decided to go back to be the assassin
0: I think it's because he's going to what worked for him against Ibushi, and he's going for what he thinks will affect Omega. And he, and the other story of the match is that he is physically superior to Omega to the point that even Don Callis concedes that yeah. in commentary. And there are two, well, four, I guess, but, well, three, really, because one of them is a very simple spot, and the other... But they tell the story. Omega goes for a runner on Osprey, and Osprey, I think, just lands on his feet. He's able to just yeah. go through it quickly, easily. He does a Rana to Omega, and Omega has to take the move, because he's not necessarily physically able to do that anymore. Mm. So that's your establishing that Osprey is quicker, more agile, and more physically adept than Omega is now. Maybe the Omega of five, six years ago, of doing snap Ranas and the like, could do that. But this is an Omega that's taken more bumps, that's just come back from a long period of injury. Yeah. That's not necessarily where he can go anymore. And then it's the key is when they do the big two moves on the top rope, which is the teasing of Omega going for the top rope dragon superplex that he did to Okada in their wrestle kingdom. match. Yeah. Tries to do that move. Osprey escapes it by landing on his feet. That's him escaping the move, but it doesn't do anything to Omega. Yeah. Osprey goes for the big move off the top row. Omega escapes by hitting his damaged back and kidney, which he'd been targeting in the early parts of the match, and then dropping him on his head with the DDT. And that's the key move of the match. That's mm. the move. That's like how the, you know, in all Japan matches, it's always who's going to hit that move off the apron. That's the point of this match. And that's showing that. Whilst Osprey escapes Omega's attempt at a big move, he doesn't inflict damage. Omega makes sure to inflict the maximum amount of damage in that point, and that is ultimately what drains Osprey of all of his energy. Yeah, left by the end of the match, that he has nothing left to give, and of course that splits him open, and we get our blood, our beloved blood. Yeah, more blood. We
1: have already had like a sign of like Kenny being vicious because it's, yes, it's an instinctive move, but it is still a DDT to an exposed turnbuckle. So there is an element of viciousness to it. But we've already had Kenny basically stamp a hole through a table trying to get to Osprey and then doing the uh, Jack Nicholson. In the Shining impersonation. He can't resist a little bit of Hamming when he gets a chance, can he?
0: No, but it works within the character of Omega that Omega is a little bit crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's not a criticism. It's just... I like it, in a way. If
0: you see a wooden plank with a giant hole in it, and you don't do a Shining reference... I mean, what's what's, what's going going on? (laughs) doing?
1: Great moment from Don Callis when the United Empire surround Will when he's bleeding. He's like, what's all this? This is... And it's such great heel work because it's pure hypocrisy.
0: Oh, yeah, because every time Omega was doing these big matches, who were always in his corner was the Young Bucks doing yeah. exactly what the United Empire were doing.
1: And if you look at uh, Don Callis, in, during the, especially during Kenny's AW World title run, he did that a lot. <laughs>
0: But yeah, just the idea of the whole match is that Omega's going in with strategy and thought, and he's trying to target his mo- his hitting, whereas where he's hitting, he's going for the back. The reason that that top turnbuckle was exposed was because earlier in the match, Omega had exposed that corner because he needed to whip him in to hurt his back. Yeah. And again, it's just one of those wonderful, you know, obviously the thing we always say is Chekhov's gun, but what's brilliant about that is that he's done the Chekhov's gun thing already. They've introduced it, and then they've used it, so it's not even necessarily going to be a part of the story going forward. But it's there, and then he hits it, so it's like you can forget that it was there. Yeah. Like how in the second FTR Briscoe's match, Cash Wheeler set up the table at one point by just moving it, and it turns out 20 minutes later, the reason he did that was that it was the perfect position for one of them to go flying through it. Yeah. Later on in the match, so... Omega did that to hurt his back, but then he found the perfect opportunity to hit him with the move that famously he'd sort of done kind of by accident to Tetsuya Naito, maybe, in one of their G1 climaxes. There's another two matches that I would give five stars to as well, the two G1 sumo hall matches between Omega and Naito. Mm -hmm. So again, I could be going five stars, I might not. I'm leaving the mystery up in the air. Oh, you
1: filthy little tease.
0: What were you hoping for going into this match, Simon? And what surprised you? And what were you expecting from this match? It wasn't hope I went in with.
1: It was nerves.
0: Nerves that they couldn't live up to the hype or nerves that they could hurt themselves by trying to live up to the hype. Ah, the former. Because you don't give a toss about their physical health. No, because they're athletes.
1: I knew that was never going to be the problem. Or if it was, it would be not more than a freak accident. They're, they're not unsafe workers to themselves or each other. But hype, hype is a poisonous thing sometimes. It, it can build up. It's like a snowball going down a hill. It can, the momentum can consume things. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that, w- that was good. But it's not the mega awesome, super duper cool thing that got like built up in the echo chambers on social media and in my own mind. So I was like, are people going to go, yeah, it was fine, but it wasn't what I expected. That, that was my apprehension. What surprised me in the match was it was the fact they didn't go, uh, uh, but, uh, A, that w- the amount of offense Will got, but it fit in the story of the match. But it surprised me compared to what I expected before and B, just the slight way that it went, I expected something a little bit more... Like, a little bit anything you can do, I can do better. And it wasn't quite that. It was, in <laughs> a sense... I Like you mentioned, Will escaped the dangerous move, whereas Kenny cut Will's face into shreds by countering the dangerous move. But... It'll be like, oh, what, you can do that flippy thing. Well, I might be older, but I'm still the man. I could do that flippy thing. Oh, what, you've now learnt this power thing. Well, I'm look how ripped I am. I can do this power thing. Maybe there will be a bit of that in subsequent matches, to be honest.
0: I think one of the things I liked was that it came across as a match that both men were so desperate to win and that it meant something to them. Yes, I think someone made a really interesting point I saw on, I think it was Twitter, that when Osprey goes all heavy selling and heavy breathing, he kind of can sound a bit like Lex Luger, where Lex Luger when he gets hit by anything, he'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> like, big old grunts that don't necessarily mean a whole lot if you're doing it the same level throughout. Yeah, but Osprey has improved as a performer all around. I think in the in the past few years, and if someone says he's the best wrestler in the world, I'm not necessarily I'm not going to disagree with them. Mm-hmm. Not always to my taste what he does, but that's not really his fault and he shouldn't be trying to cater to me anyway. You know, it's what he's doing is working for him. As I've said, if anyone's going to spark a bidding war in 2024, I think it's Will Osprey before, maybe even before it's MJF. Mm. Especially because there'll be three people interested in him. New Japan is not where MJF ends up. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know? And we did have that. Who would you rather build around? Conversation in a previous episode.
0: One of the things I really admired with Will Osprey as well was how well he, when he, when he does get hit by that move, you know, he'd always, he already been, he'd already had his beat down period and then his comeback, but then it's like a second level of it with the bleeding, and just that sense to us, and how vicious Omega is to him afterwards, how brutal everything is. The V triggers, I mean, an Omega V trigger in New Japan is just something different. Yes. It's something special. It must be something to do with the setup of the audio and the cavernous nature of those arenas or something. Compared to the, maybe it's a more tighter audience. I don't know. Or it's mic differently.
1: And the cheer style as well, because Mm. the Japanese fans do, Japanese audiences do cheer differently to American audiences. I mean, for those who watch the whole show throughout, one of the reasons some matches sound different to others is this was the first event where you were allowed to cheer for New Japan in quite some time. So the crowd is sort of having to relearn everything. But by the time they get to this match, that and just the odd nature of what's happening, they cheer, but they don't drown anything out. So from an audio perspective, you can hear Will dropping wankers and cunts all over the shop and Kenny, like, caving his skull in. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I did not expect to see echoes of Terry Funk in both men. But when Ospreay comes back into the ring, they basically do a Terry Funk tribute, where Omega's doing the Funk punches with his hands up like a boxer's stance, with yeah. his right hands. And Ospreay's doing the great Terry Funk punch-drunk flailing his arms around and Omega able to duck it and, you know, turn it into moves. I think he turns it into a reverse Rana at some point, doesn't he? Yes. He does something along those lines and Osprey's just landing on his head. It's such a fantastic stretch towards the end of Osprey just seeming to be out on his feet and Omega just utterly, brutally, viciously dominating him. Mm-hmm. And hitting him with so much stuff, but also toying with him as well. I think he's enjoying this aspect to it. There's times that you think Omega's could have got the match won, but he wants to hurt Osprey a bit whilst he's here. Maybe make sure he never tries to come back again.
1: Yeah, Osprey will come to collect on that at some point.
0: Well, yeah, but then when Osprey does get the second wind and that sort of bursts of energy, but there is that sense of he's on a he's on a limited time, and Omega is trying to snuff it out. Kind of like how you know we love how Walter after he's been beating the tar out of someone when they start to come back then he's like oh i really should have got this finished so let's try and get this finished as quickly as possible yeah he's going for pins he's going for one winged angels desperately throughout it all and now osprey's constantly escaping it
1: yeah after one flurry as well there's chekhov has gone the third because he exposed buckles again uh he face busters uh will into it and when the blood is already pouring ashish like right i've had enough of you die yeah. Die
0: <laughs> Yeah. And the Kreutz Wrath as well in the corner. He just is hitting these moves that should be finishing Will Ospreay and Osprey is doing that. You know, one of the things that always drives me crazy in a lot of modern selling and a lot of people always conflate selling with bumping is when they say, Oh look at him all out on his feet and it's like Yeah, but they either don't sell anything or they're like they're dead and therefore they should just be pinned automatically. You you want you know, it's it's too many extremes. It needs to escalate over time. Someone said one of the great things about Brett Hart selling is that he sells exhaustion as the match goes on, that he'll start breathing heavily with his mouth open as the match will go on, whether he's in attack or defense. And that's what Ospreay does in this, that, like, he's not just doing, oh, I've been hit with a DDT, so I'll do a vertical bump and then just stand there like a like a mannequin and collapse to the mats. Yeah. It's, this whole thing is like, he's been hit with stuff and he's almost dumbfounded like he can't he doesn't have anything in him to even sell anything mm. Mm. <laughs> but there is that sense of because this is the match of his life and if he's got some sense of consciousness of where he is he will try to do whatever he can to to keep going
1: yeah he couldn't live with himself if he didn't give it his all at any point and that goes for both men i think especially when like the finishing sequence as well when osprey's just literally like right i've got one chance left i'm going to throw Everything at him, and he throws everything at him. He goes into the All Japan well with Kawada kicks, Chelsea grin, hidden blade, super oscutter styles clash. Yeah, and another hit, well, a couple more hidden blades as well.
0: Yeah, the, the hidden blade maybe gets a bit overdone in this match, given that that's sort of the key move in the story of Osprey's history with Omega, I think. Yeah. And sometimes when he hits, like, a big hidden blade, the fact that it's not like a, it's a kick out of, like, 2.8, it almost feels a little bit anticlimactic, Mm. you know? Because that's, you know, that's tiny quibble. And what a great way to, to, especially to reference a man that's technically
1: probably not supposed to be being referenced in in some level.
0: Not in an explicit way, anyway. They can't literally say his name, but they'll do everything other than that. Yeah. One of the things I love as well when he goes for the Stormbreaker is the amount of effort that it takes to lift Omega up. Yes, And again, that's obviously Omega's trying to block it, but it's also like there's only so much energy left in Osprey now to get him up for it. Yeah. And that takes great strength as, as well and control. Omega's got his arms pinned behind his back. He can't do anything if he gets dropped on his head. And if you're slowly playing a deadlift on him, as opposed to you both negotiating a quick up on the shoulders, then you've got to be more careful mm. with what you're doing. You need, you need core strength for that. It's something Will Osprey has in spades. mm I don't know what I felt about the risk control, maintaining risk control bit. It's like it's one of those things that you just gotta do now. It's almost like the indie standoff or you know the Canadian destroyer of epic New Japan main events. Yeah. Someone's gotta hold on to someone else's wrists and red shoes has got a point to it. <laughs> do you think it's him that's insisting on it? But I think, like I said, the idea of the whole match is that when Omega how Omega wins is that he outstrategizes Osprey. That that in-ring experience is enough for him to know when Osprey goes for the Stormbreaker. It's not just that Omega is able to escape it; he lands on his feet and it immediately hits a V trigger because he needs to try and snuff Omega. Yeah. Uh, he has to try and snuff Osprey out, and so he's holding onto the wrist because he knows he's got to keep o- o- Osprey under control. And the Osprey tries to break out of it by just hitting him with the Hidden Blade. But Omega still holds onto the wrist. Again, it's that knowledge and also that perseverance because Omega's as desperate to win this match as Osprey is. Yeah. You can't take everything that Osprey throws at you and still not be desperate to win. And to me, again, because we get another one of those cliches, is the forearm exchange. But it works with this one as well because Osprey is full on outside of Weatherspoon. <laughs> is that all you've got pussy energy going on? And so he can outstrike Omega in the forearm exchange. But what does Omega do? Just what Tanahashi does in those matches with Okada when Okada's physically outpowering him. Sneaks behind. Suplex. Sends Osprey Loco. Then catches him. Got him by the wrists. Ospreay with nothing left does, you know, the Shawn Michaels to The Undertaker. Spits in his face. A WrestleMania 26 epicness moment there. But there is that thing of like, you know, you may have won this one, but I'm... I will return. <laughs> <There's> no... <laughs> this match will haunt you. Yeah. And then Omega hitting him with Ibushi's Kamagoye and setting him up for the one winged angel. There's a question. Will Omega allow Osprey to kick out of the one winged angel? Cause that would be the ultimate compliment. But does Tony Khan want that to happen? With a new Japan wrestler. That's the other thing with all this extra level of politics to it. The only reason I thought that he might lose this match, because I was sure that Omega would win this match, the only thing that made me think twice was the fact that it was for the US belt. And I didn't know if Khan would want Omega dealing with that. But, you know, the next week, (laughs) he's there with the belt on AEW TV. And the night after this, they, they're they setting him up to face Jeff Cobb for the title. Oh, Christ. Again, with Tony Khan, like, how much do you want to loan your best wrestlers out to another company where you see what Omega feels like he has to do for these yeah. matches?
1: But are you, are you going to be the man that tells Kenny Omega, no, you can't go to New Japan?
0: Well, if you're the man that's paying his salary, you can tell him no.
1: There's different ways of keeping people happy.
0: I know, I know, I know. But this stuff, we're just getting to the end of this, though. So, yeah, the beautiful poetry. And again... Within Omega's world, this is a great decisive final blow, hitting him with the Abushi move and getting this, the one-winged angel and getting that redemption. You know, his last match at New Japan, he lost and had to leave. Well, he's come back triumphant. He's won back the belt that he was the first champion of as well. And he goes back to America where he went to... Starts up the new exciting promotion of pro wrestling. Not knowing if he'll ever come back. And now here he is. Still the best Gaijin. And now took took one of your shiny trinkets to America with him. (laughs) And the next night when he's tag teaming with Okada. Just has a little look at that newly designed belt. Going hey what's that thing? Mm -hmm. The possibilities are endless. And of course as they pointed out. He is in his entrance thing when they were giving all his different nicknames, one of them was The Belt Collector. Well, he's got a nice little collection going on there, hasn't he? <laughs> well. Are there any other notes you made in the match itself? I've got one little bit, but you first, On so.
1: I did like one of the things that will happen in the next match is that United
0: Empire may not
1: accompany Will. I think how you pointed out that Kenny didn't have the elite around when he finally did it against Okada, I've got that feeling in my head that he will will be like lot lads let me go out and do this on my own kind of thing uh,
0: i think it's one of those ones where because it's all a, for so many people it's about how the moves are hit there were a couple of interesting moments where it did slightly fall apart or things were a bit awkward they go for a, sort of, a run into an abdominal stretch octopus hold and that didn't quite work. They sort of fell to the floor and then got back up and did it again. What was also interesting was when they did the first bit of Osprey going for an os cutter on the apron, your first big bit now is them doing a move on the apron. Like I said, back in the all Japan days, that was your big spot. But now it's like your opening big spot. Mm. The way that Osprey sort of landed and, and went for the cutter, but it was reversed, it was weirdly awkward, like, there was, like a pause was hit or something. Mm. <laughs> it didn't quite work. It was an odd little moment. But are those... Therefore, me giving excuses to not give it five stars. Well, no, they're not. I've wavered, but I think I'm just being too like you know. I say you're being a bit too kind of you know giving it out to anyone that mo- any match that moves at the moment, any match that says you're pretty, you know, any match that buys you a drink. Stop it, you. Whereas I'm kind of like a Natalie Portman protecting a wormhole in South Park. <laughs> Come on, Lorcan, give it five stars. Mm, No. I'm going to go, okay, just this one time. (laughs) You show this to most people, and I think they would appreciate something on some level of this match. Oh, yes. And it is something that's been built to for over so many years. And, like I said, just because it's not the final end to either this story for Ospreay or these series of matches, and I do believe that they have a match in them that might be even better than this. Mm. Maybe two. I feel like Tony Khan's got to be like, come on, give us at least one of these matches. And seeing them as they're presented in an AEW ring will be very interesting as well. And we'll get more into that after this part of the conversation. But for you, Simon, is it five stars or isn't it... It is. It'd be really weird if you said no. It, no,
1: no, no, I'm not
0: going to. It,
1: it is. It's It's not how I thought they'd tell the story, but it's It's a great way of telling the story so far.
0: I'm wondering if it's the match of the decade so far for me. And I guess it is between that and the Walter Dragonov match. I think, for me. Can't think of any other matches that would be in contention.
1: I've got Bucks versus Page Omega in my head.
0: Yes, that's true. That was in February 2020, wasn't it? So, yeah, that would be... Because I always quote it because it, it was pre-lockdown. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be the other one, I suppose. It's fascinating, though. Obviously, Meltzer giving this six and a quarter stars, which is the second highest rating he's ever given a match. For fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> the other one being Okada Omega 2. mm <clears throat> at Dominion and the only match that's done better than that was Okada Omega Four at the next year's Dominion, which got the seven stars. And as we've said so many times in the past, this is the thing that really broke Meltzer and why like almost a half of all episodes we do now are Meltzer <laughs> <star> Project <laughs> matches. Yeah, we have done a lot of these recently. Fascinating, actually, I was just looking at I think he's given eight matches over this time, uh, six stars or higher. <laughs> so if we did another melt six-star projects, then we'd have been lucky. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Out of those eight matches, six of them include Kenny Omega. It's, it's an exciting way to start the year. And let's just get into the other, thing. the other thing. So why is everyone going so apeshit about it? Because whilst I do think it's a great match, I don't think it would be in my top 10 of all time Mm. I don't know if we'd crack the top 10 of the melts to 5 stars if we ever went back to that we're coming up to match 200 so maybe we should think of doing that again
1: 200 bloody hell
0: well I mean if you look at Wikipedia there's like another 40 or so we haven't included that should be in some way shape or form but let's not get into that (sighs) It's like, you know, we said on Twitter that there was a Butch Reed versus Ric Flair match from 1982 that was an easy five stars. And it's like, well, we're not finding that, all <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on now, Dave. Because one thing we were doing is like, we had to find out if we had to fork out $20 for a, uh, a PWG Battle of Los Angeles Blu-ray. But they had to make a correction that it was four and a quarter stars, not five and a quarter stars that he gave yeah. uh, Brian Keith against Speedball Mike Bailey. The other thing, but the reason I think everyone's so excited is because I think for so many people, this was like a callback to that golden period of New Japan. Yes. That we lost with the pandemic and everything. And, you know, the first big event back that sort of allows a certain amount of more reaction is the first one that we get a match that feels like it feels a part of that. Mm-hmm. And also people seeing this Kenny Omega and appreciating the difference between this Kenny Omega and AEW's Kenny Omega. And I've seen the memes. There's a great one of like... a. Uh, Kenny Omega booked by New Japan and it's Detective Homer Simpson from Police Cops in the Pilots. Yes. And Kenny Omega booked by himself and it's Homer Simpson in subsequent episodes after the retooling of Police Cops. (laughs) You
1: destroyed that drug shipment? That was my insulin. Uh Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs.
0: We really need to move that cactus. Anyway, (laughs) I get where they're coming from. But I do think you've got to appreciate that what New Japan's presenting and um, what AEW are presenting are different things. You can't look as special if you're appearing on TV every week. You've got to be in some form of matching. you're working within time constraints and your matches are structured around commercials. Yeah. And you only get four pay-per-views per year where you can really go all out if you're on all out.
1: <laughs> oh, you do
0: get your special
1: events every now and again, like your winter is coming, your beach breaks.
0: Yeah, but they're still working on the commercial format. They're still two-hour dynamites, is my point. They are. You're catering to a different audience, you're being filmed in a different way. If you're coming out on the Tokyo Dome with big fucking screens <sighs> proclaiming your name and operatic music from a Final Fantasy game and your cool gamer cosplay thing... Yeah, you're going to look more bad. (laughs) Maybe if AEW get to do a stadium show, they'll be able to give Omega that kind of an entrance. Yeah. There is a reason that Omega pushes himself in a different way when he's in Japan, because he knows that's the audience that he's catering to. But he also knew, I'm going to physically be broken if I continue down that path. And that's why he went to AEW. And he doesn't go full bore, and he is more sports entertainment tea
1: you're not getting 69 me don in a new japan ring are you
0: yeah but that omega can't necessarily do all those g1s all over again yeah and the way that new japan is structured they don't have to do so many segments and angles but that's what omega's got to be a part of as well and that's something that he's good at in certain respects and has weaknesses in other respects Mm. that doesn't mean that it's like an inferior omega that was never there it's just it's got to be in the right place at the right time yeah and the way that New Japan structured allows that to happen, but also the way that New Japan structured means it can feel very repetitive and dull at times, which has been the big criticism of New Japan over recent years. Yeah. So you take the good with the bad, and, you know, I hope we see this Omega a few more times, but I don't begrudge him not being able to do it anymore, but being able to, at 40 years old, or 39 years old, put the oil into the gears and be able to go out there and do it again. But even he changed it up, as we say. Now that's Osprey's job to do that stuff. Yeah. And he's changed it up, and he doesn't do as many top rope moves. If you look at it, Omega himself doesn't do nearly as many dangerous moves in this match as he did in the previous one. When he went through the table in the Okada match at Wrestle Kingdom, that was him flying all the way over the stage, over the raised back, <laughs> you know, a ringside area, going through that Japanese table. Yeah. Whereas this time, it's controlled, and he's stamping on the you're much younger and willing to take those moves now, Osprey, mm. and doing a shining reference with. But he, him. and that's the thing that everyone bloody tweets anyway. That's true. <laughs> you know?
1: I think I think moments like that realize that. I mean, um, you you mentioned that dive. I mean, when he does do those sorts of dives and go through tables now, they are American tables.
0: You know, I, weird thing. I had a dream, and I know the worst thing to hear are other people explaining their dreams. But I had this dream that I was watching an episode of AEW and the Young Bucks were involved. And they were doing their entrance and it was a tables match. Your favourite kind of match. But then they make a big deal that the announcements that it's a Japanese tables match. (laughs) And like they're pointing out, they're like holding Japanese tables going, these are Japanese tables.
1: No, but you did mention the meme thing. And I think one of the moments that sums up Kenny quite well in terms of like how memeable he can be and how like how he can sports entertainment it up a bit in AEW was stadium stampede one where him and matt hardy are in that golf cart trying to run over sammy guevara
0: and as i said we saw that omega there in the first match with osprey where he's forearm chainsawing his own dick yeah so who knows maybe that's where osprey's gonna be going in five years time as well knock on wood assuming no injuries or anything Mm this isn't the only Osprey Omega match we're going to get this year. The best may still be to come, or they may never be able to reach this height again because there aren't many people on the planet that can do. Yeah. Uh, God knows Okada and, and Jay White can do it in the next match.
1: <laughs> do you reckon they are just
0: backstage? Like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> they, knew, they knew what was going to happen, or, or they expected it. They didn't necessarily know that Kenny Omega could still do it, but he proved that he could Mm. but as I've said Jay White has always been determined to go down the path that he's gone and I admire him for that and it did pay off in the Wrestle Kingdom against Coach I felt very vindicated in that match but he never seemed to follow it up since then Mm. and if the rumours are true that he goes to America Mm. maybe that's going to be the place for him to truly get to do what he did Yeah, what is the right audience for him We'll, we'll find out these are all many different chess pieces to move as time goes on and we aren't even through with Kenny Omega, are we, Simon? Because what are we covering for next week's episode? Because it's another Melter Five Star project. So literally a whole seven days after, he's back in America, sporting a bit of the shiner left from that. Really, that was another great moment in the match. Like his obviously wasn't intentional, but you see when he when Ospreay hits it the third cheeky Nando's kick, you can tell that it like yeah. oh that hit that hit bone. <laughs> Omega's like that's not that's not wrestling selling. That's fuck my eyes selling. Yeah. like I I can barely see at this point. Yeah, yeah. the scars of war is just wonderful. How you do that, you
1: know? We are covering a trios Escalada de la Muerte match. I think I butchered the first word there, but we move. Basically, the finale in the in the seven match series between Death Triangle and the Elite, including of course. One Kenny Omega,
0: Escala della Muerte, finale. You got three languages on the go in that sentence, Simon. I'm happy doing what I do for the three members of each team. And yeah, that's what we'll be at next week. Will we have further five star matches after that? We don't yet. But until then, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do so?
1: They can get in touch with me on Twitter. where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the pints of blood that
0: Will Osprey lost. My name's Lorcan Mullon, that's L O R C A N M U L L A N if you reverse the letters of Nando's kick. That's my Twitter and the Instagram Facebook letterbox. If you put in that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. Lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there is nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen.
1: And my name's Simon
0: Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a six and a quarter star time. Until the next time.
1: 星の何度口にしただろう私は生きてる